It's a mailbag Monday. Let's get after it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, baseball writer for Sports Illustrated, and thank you for making this your first listen every single day. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this year with more odds, props, and lines than ever before. Bet Online is where the game starts. Those of you on YouTube may notice this is not my typical recording place. Uh, I am in Dallas, Texas, visiting my mother. That's her. Uh, in town to to take in the three-game set between the Texas Rangers and the Atlanta Braves. Uh, so, welcome to my mother's kitchen. But the show goes on. We've got questions. First one here, a couple great questions that I got from Matt on Twitter. So, uh, mostly Reds and Pirates related. But the first one is Matt asks, can Reese Hines be the long-term third baseman in Cincinnati? And uh, short answer is... I think so. So, all right, Reese Hines, 6'4", 215, uh, 2019 second rounder out of high school. Uh, the the profile of him as a minor leaguer, this is not a major league cop. This is the profile of what he is now compared to what this guy was in the minors. Uh, reminds me a lot of a J.D. Davis. So a third baseman that's got a, a cannon for an arm, tons of raw power, has some holes in the swing that you have to fix. And, all right, so so with Reese, uh, start with the defense. You kind of have to. Um, he he moves well enough to make the plays at third. He's not going to be a gold glover. I mean, he's he's not going to come in and be one of your ten best or your your five best uh, third baseman in baseball. But he can move well enough as of now to make the plays at third that he needs to make and. Any sort of deficiency that he has in range or, you know, in reactions, he can make up for with a plus-plus arm. Like, again, absolute cannon at third. So definitely something where, where he can play third defensively. Now, I do expect him, as he continues to develop, to maybe slow down a little bit. So that's something to be mindful of. Uh, the organization does feel like he has the athleticism and he has obviously the arm and the talent to move to right field and play a right field where that arm ends up going from an asset to a weapon out there. But something to watch that uh, offensively is where he needs a little more work. So he's got fantastic power. Like I said, Matt, I mean, just plus plus raw power, massive, massive hits, exit velos, incredibly high and all of that. But to go along with that, he's got some corresponding swing and miss in his approach and some holes that he has to fix. So most of what's going to happen there and what we kind of have to figure out is can Reese Hines continue to maintain the level of athleticism to stay at third while also closing some of the holes in his swing? Uh, I don't think he's ever going to hit 300. I don't think he's ever... Um, you know, going like I said, going to win a gold glove, but I absolutely think he can be a major league third baseman. And again, if something happens, if you end up needing to move him off of third, 
I think he can play a he can play a sufficient right field. Uh, again, not gonna not gonna win a Gold Glove in right field, but going to be very good. Going to have quite a few outfield assists until people learn to stop running on him. And uh, and a player that can work out in Cincy. So thank you, Matt, for the question. The second one he had, I, he said a couple, and I'm fine with that. Do you have if you have questions for the show, by the way, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. The show is on Twitter at Locked On Farm. Or you can email us, prospects at gmail.com. Second question he sent, he said, I like Travis Swaggerty to bounce back this year. Am I way off base on this? So Travis Swaggerty, outfielder, uh, 2018 first-round pick out of South Alabama, uh, 5'10", 183. And I don't think he's off base with this. So the thing you have to know is for the last two or three years now, Travis Swaggerty has been considered as the best defensive outfielder with the best arm in the pirate system um possibly the entire minors i mean he may be one of the better arms in the outfield in the entire minor leagues as well as one of the top five or so defenders in the outfield in the minor leagues so questions there are are non-existent when it comes to his offense you look at what he did in college at south alabama walked more than he struck out hit 20 plus home runs stole double digit bases and we haven't really seen that at the professional level. Started off slow uh, in 2019, got hurt, then lost season in 2020 with the pandemic. So he's a little bit behind the typical development curve, but he's a guy that I absolutely feel like can make it all click together. And the big thing there, the big thing we're going to have to adjust for is he's been chasing power at the expense of contact. And I understand the way the game's oriented right now. Home runs are what sexy, home run numbers are what um, are absolutely what people get free agent contracts on. But I think when he understands that if I lower my launch angle a bit and I focus on line drives and making hard contact, I can put balls in the gaps. I can, you know, I've got the speed to to get doubles, occasional triples off a misplay. And next time, next time they juice the ball, some of those line drives I hit are going to carry out. I think that's the thing that he needs to do. I haven't seen enough of him in 2022 to know if he's done that. Trying to get the stats here real quick. Uh, 15 games in AAA, he's batting 164, 270, 236. So he has not learned that lesson yet. One home run, one double, 55 at-bats. Something where if he can focus on, on making contact versus selling out for power, I absolutely see him as a guy that, yes, can be a first division regular in the outfield, uh, can contribute defensively, can play center base, uh, center field. And he's a guy that really struggled with that injury and the bad timing because uh, Pittsburgh went through so many center field options last year. I think he would have gotten called up and he would have been one of the guys to come in if he had been healthy and if he'd been playing well. But it just, I mean, it didn't work out that way. He got I want to say he got 12 games last year before injury in the season. I want to say it was, it was a shoulder injury diving into the face. So a guy that needs a healthy year this year needs to do well so that um, he can hopefully make the team in 23 at the big league level. And I think he can stick once he understands that I need to stop selling out for power and just go for contact. Uh, and then the third question, this is this is a good one to me here. How quickly could Indy Rodriguez rise to the system? So if you remember Friday's show, the Farm Friday on the Pirates, we talked about how there's so many catchers in the lower level of the Pirates system. And I think that so so Indy Rodriguez was he signed out of the Dominican in 2018 at 18 
And then he was part of that three-team deal where Joe Mus- Joe Musgrove went to the Padres. And in 2021, he led all of Loway Southeast in average, 294. He was second in, in WRC Plus and had the lowest strikeout percentage in that league at 17.7%. Incredibly athletic switch hitting catcher. And when it comes to his offense, I mean, great hitter. Uh, his swing from both sides is good. I feel like the left-handed swing is better for power than the right-handed swing, but he's quick to the ball from both sides. Very good strike zone recognition, very good bat speed, very good feel for the barrel and where it is. Um, lowest swing and strike percentage as far as swing and miss. I think power-wise, if he can add a little bit more strength, he's going to hit average. The thing that's going to slow him down, and so this is why I'm kind of couching my answer here. If they stick that they leave him at catcher he's not going to rise to the system very quickly and that's because he never caught full time until he became a pro so he's very raw now he has the athleticism to block the balls in the dirt to get the balls that you know that come loose and go high uh you know he has all of the tools for that but he's also had limited looks where he looked good at first base and at left field. And there are folks in the pirate system that actually think Indy Rodriguez has the athleticism to play at second. So I think he's not going to rise to the system rather quickly if he stays at catcher. And that's simply because they have so many catchers. You saw in some of the assignments, we talked about it last Friday, how they promoted some of their catchers quicker because they've got that log jam down there. And right now, I believe, uh, I think it's him and Henry Davis are at the same level together. And so they have to like split playing time. And that's why if they decide to take Indy Rodriguez, move him to the outfield, move him to first, let him play some second. He's a guy he could catch a couple of days a week as your backup, do these other things, or you can move him full time. Uh, I think if they move him, he's going to progress quickly. If they leave him at catcher, it's going to take a while simply because he's so incredibly raw. And in just a minute, I do want to get into uh, some um, some questions here about San Diego and some other teams that I got from some, some other folks via email. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting stats and your sports info. You can get the latest sports development, the league's reviews, and the news including info about the basketball playoffs, UFC, the start of the Major League Baseball season, and where all the odds and standings are for that. They're your continued source for your sports wagering information from live betting, esports, and more. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action because Bet Online is where the game starts. So the last question from Matt, because I told you Matt sent me four, and I'm Again, I'm fine with that. If you have questions for the show, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. The show is on Twitter at Locked On Farm, or you can email us, Locked On MLB Prospects at gmail.com. So the question is about UG Rosario. And the question was can UG Rosario in San Diego be more than a utility guy? I might be saying this name right, uh, wrong. I don't know. Anyway. But so 2015 IFA, uh, 5'9", 150, a little bit of a smaller guy. And the thing here is his defense is solid all across the infield, but it's not necessarily great. Uh, he's playable at shortstop. Uh, his, like, his range is more of a second baseman. Uh, his arm plus almost like almost a plus plus arm, fantastic arm. So put him at third. The issue you have is, 
Offensively, he is good. So in double-A San Antonio last year, led the double-A Central in doubles with 31, was second in hits in 118, and fifth in stolen bases with 30. The Padres put him on the 40-man roster. They didn't want to lose him to the Rule 5 draft, which we ended up not happening. And so really, like, physically not a very impressive player. He's, you know, round, stocky, a little bit shorter, but surprisingly athletic despite that. Very quick swing, uh, can shoot balls to the gap. The uh, he, had, he hit double-digit homers for the first time last year. Uh, but the thing that I'm not sure about, is where the offensive profile fits on the field. I mean, he's an above average runner, so he can absolutely, obviously he stole, you know, stole 30 bases last year, but it's something where he doesn't have the power you typically would expect or want from a corner infield at third, but he has an arm that absolutely deserves to be in third. So that's kind of why he seemed to be a utility infielder. Um, not yet, not enough power for a traditional third base. I think that if he might be a guy that if you put him in a spot and you let him play, he's going to be better than if you move him around. But part of the part of his value is the versatility. And right now, look at how many infielders you have, especially once Tatis comes back. Obviously, uh, Hassan Kim is playing well. You caught up C.J. Abrams. I think you may need to send C.J. Abrams back down. We talked a couple weeks ago with Javier from Locked On Padres about how little experience uh, C.J. Abrams had above, like, A-ball. <laughs> he had very little at-bats in the upper minors. But I could see Rosario being a guy where you've got, you've got your, kind of, your infield set. He can rotate through, give everybody a day off. First time somebody gets hurt, whether it's short, whether it's second, whether it's third, you can plug him in and he can play there every day. So I think value him as a utility infielder, but know that depth always works itself out. Worst case scenario, none of your stars get hurt and you don't have to use him in one position. Best case scenario, somebody gets hurt. And I'm sorry. Yeah. Best case scenario was nobody gets hurt. You don't have to use him. Most likely scenario is somebody does something where they go on the IL. He can step in and play at a good enough level to keep you in contention and not hurt the team until that player comes back. So I think he can be more than a utility guy if you give him a spot, but I think his value very much is tied to that utility guy who plays four or five days a week. So I hope that answers that. Another question here, big from big three PC on Twitter. He wants to know uh, thoughts on Ricky Tiedemann's a ball debut so far. So Ricky Tiedemann, really interesting scenario that happened here. Didn't like what happened. He didn't like his his draft or the fact that he wasn't drafted in that five year 2020 draft. He was uh, committed to San Diego State. Obviously, we shortened that draft because of COVID. So instead of going to San Diego State, he went to Golden West Junior College, which junior college guys can be drafted later. So he ended up being draft eligible in 2021, was still just 18, didn't turn 19 till after the draft ended up being a third round pick by the Blue Jays, got a, got a decent bonus. And the thing about Ricky Tiedemann is uh, in, in, in college, at junior college, he sat high 80s, low 90s. And he'd sometimes reach back and find 94. But once he's hit the pros and has, he's developing a little bit, uh, you're seeing the velocity get better. 
Uh, I like the development we've seen so far. Uh, obviously, that improvement there. The fastball changeup combo is really good. I think the uh, the the fastball was a plus pitch, above average to plus. Uh, the changeup is absolutely a plus pitch, and the big thing there is he feels comfortable with it against both a lefty and a righty. Um, he's got a he's got a pretty hard slider. It's a work in progress. I think it can get to average, and I think he's going to need to do that. But you see that a lot sometimes with younger players where the breaking pitches aren't quite at the level of the fastball changeup combo. So I get that. Uh, the, the big thing for him, and I've only gotten to watch a couple at bats from his most recent start. So I can't go into full detail on this, but for kind of from what I've noticed is um, his arm slot can drift. And so when his arm slot drift, his control goes and it makes his, his, his arsenal uh, pitch down. Like it should, like it, it should be better than it is, but because the arm slot varies and the control varies, it's easier to hit than it should be. So, I mean, I like his size. I like his athleticism. I like how the fastball and changeup come out from the same arm speed. That's a really useful ability, but I just need him to be a little more consistent with some of those fundamentals, specifically the arm slot so that he can hone the control in. Um, if he can do that, I absolutely do see him as a as a mid-round starter. Again, you've got to develop that third pitch. You've got to get that slider uh, closer to the level of the fastball and the changeup. I know it's not going to be there, but it needs to be closer so that you're not confined to a relieving role. Because if you're a reliever, then yeah, you can take two pitches and you can go out there and throw an inning. But if you want to be a starter, you're going to need to develop that slider uh, to be an effective third, you know, third pitch, and then find a fourth thing that you can throw occasionally to keep them honest. But I like what I've seen so far, especially from it being a young player. And I do think that there that he 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 has improved significantly from where he was drafted in the third round. And I think that this may end up being a steal by the Blue Jays. And in just a minute, I do want to um, cover some nice long-term questions as far as as far as picking between specific players, as well as kind of some overall strategy when it comes to the MLB draft. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. You've heard me talk about Built Bars all the time now. Built Bars are the protein bars that taste like candy bars. They might even be better than candy bars. Uh, all Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. They're usually 170 calories, seven, 130 calories, 17 grams of protein. So they're, they taste good and they're good for you. Uh, there's a lot of things besides just the bars on the website. The puffs are a very popular add-in. It's a protein-infused marshmallow. Uh, they have banana cream pie. Uh, the churro one, I, we have a fellow locked-on host who gets the churro puffs, um, and he puts them in his coffee. So he puts the he puts the, the cinnamon sugar-flavored protein-infused marshmallow, drops it into his coffee in the morning, says it comes great. So Try the mixed box. It comes with 12 flavors of bars and puffs. The whole idea is to give, you know, there's something for everybody in there. Um, and again, you know, the, the bars, banana cream pie, raspberry, double chocolate, peanut butter brownies, my favorite. So go to built.com. You can check out all the flavors. They're all delicious. They have new flavors that come out all the time. So there's the standard flavors they always have. There's the recurring flavors that they bring in and out on a regular basis. There's the limited time things that's special they might do. St. Patrick's Day, they have a shamrock built bar. So check them out at built.com. While you're there, 
use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 at built.com. So last couple of questions. So Barry sent me an email and Barry said, all right, who would you rather bet on long-term? Adele Amador or Averson Ortega? And one, very impressed with the alliteration here. Good job on this. So Amador, uh, Rocky shortstop, 2019 IFA, 5'11", 180. And Ortega is a 2019 IFA of the Giants, 6'1", 174. And they're, I'm not going to say they're opposite players, but they're, they're, they're surprisingly contrasting in their abilities. So Amador is a, is a contact hitter, a uh, very polished hitter, quick hands, short swing. He can drive the ball from gap to gap. Kind of has a small frame, and so I worry about his ability to to increase his power. Um, you know, has a I think he's going to end up an above average hitter. I think he's a guy he'll hit double digit home runs. He'll hit ten to fifteen or so. But defensively, uh, average speed, average arm, and he's really banking on natural ability more so than like sound fundamentals and footwork and i ultimately think he's going to end up um being a second baseman he he's i think he went to low a this year let me check my notes here yeah he went to low a this year he's batting 338 in 19 games so 338 451 635 you see that power looking a little better six home runs four doubles and 74 at bats so i feel better about the power than i did when i when I um, pulled some of my scouting reports on this, but absolutely like he, he needs to continue to show that that smaller frame is not going to be a detriment to him as he continues to develop. You flip that around. Ortega is 100% like a pure shortstop. I mean, one of the surest bets in this entire system to stick it short, very smooth actions, great range plus arm strength and the clock to kind of go with it. So so a guy defensively, he can make all the plays you want. He can be your defensive shortstop. Um, he doesn't hit the ball particularly hard. His pro debut, I think his his average exit velo was around 84 miles an hour. Um, but he's got good bat speed. Speed. He's got better uh, better contact ability than his strikeout rate would tell you. His strikeout rate's about 30 percent right now. But I think like obviously better better contact ability than that. Uh, he's in low A right now, batting 254. He's got three doubles, two home runs. So it's 254, 333, 388. Um, needs to to improve on a couple things. Needs to work on cutting down swings and misses. Uh, needs to get better at recognizing spin and understanding if this breaking ball is going to be something that I can hit or not. Is this breaking ball going to be a strike or is this going to be out of the zone and I'm going to chase? So uh, the good thing is, and this doesn't this doesn't show up in the stats, but scouting reports are great for this. The Giants do like his mental makeup, and they feel like he has the work ethic to fix these problems. And so, if I had to answer right now, if I had my choice of these two guys, which one am I taking? Give me the player with the better offensive approach, and let me find a defensive home for him. So I'd take Amador right now, uh, long term, like. Especially because Amador, uh, we so, we've seen his power tick up a little bit this year so far. Long term, Ortega may be the guy who ends up uh, progressing quicker, simply because 
one, they're going to want to get him facing better competition, as well as there's always a role for a defensive-minded backup infielder. And so um, I absolutely feel like Ortega has the ability to move up faster. I think Amador is eventually going to be the better player because if you're if you consider one guy's offense and one guy's defense to be about equal, you're going to take the offensive player and you're going to find a place to play them versus taking the defensive player and trying to figure out how to teach them to hit. So, but good question. Thank you, Barry. And the last one comes from Jamie on Discord. Last question of the show. And he was he was responding to our draft preview last Tuesday where I went through the Baseball America mock draft. And he asked, like, if Drew Jones is widely expected to be the number one pick in the draft, why did he commit to Vanderbilt if he's just going to go pro? And the answer to this is leverage, right? So if, if, you, if you think about the way that the MLB draft works, based on the picks you have, there is an expected value for that draft position. It's called the slot value. So if you have 20 picks in this draft, we take each of like all 20 of your picks and every pick in the round has its slot value. We add that dollar figure up. That is your bonus pool for all of your draft picks. You're not, it's not a hard slot. You're not required to give that player that exact amount of money. So the idea is there are some players you can sign for cheaper. For instance, a college senior without eligibility. He doesn't have a lot of options if he doesn't come play for you. So you can usually sign them to underslot deals. That money that you save on those underslot deals goes a couple places. The first place it goes is it goes to if you draft a college junior who has the ability to go back to college. You want to give him enough money to come pro. But where a lot of that money ends up going are those top tier high school prospects that could go professional and you're going to give them a couple million bucks to skip college and come into your system. And Drew Jones is a guy that if he didn't have that Vanderbilt commitment, then he probably would still get a pretty decent bonus. But you'd have to worry, like if he doesn't accept, if he doesn't like the bonus offer that he got, what does he do? He has to try to enroll really late. Remember, the draft's in July. He has to try to enroll really late uh, at a college or a junior college, like we saw with one of the guys earlier in the show. And so that's why he goes ahead. He commits to a Vanderbilt. He commits to, you know, to some other school. Bubba Chandler, we talked about on Friday's show, he was committed to play football and baseball at Clemson. And the Pirates bought him out of that with a couple million dollar bonus. And then I believe in that same show we talked about, there was a college senior they drafted who they gave like 6,000 bucks to or 10,000 bucks to on a draft slot where he should have gotten, you know, a hundred. They saved money there and used it somewhere else. So this is actually, when you get into college baseball, this is actually a really tricky thing for teams to navigate because you'll have commits and you need to know, and the, and the MLB teams also want to know, are these guys signable? Which means if we draft, if the MLB team drafts this player, do we know what his salary demands are in order to sign him? And is that realistic where we can do it? And so sometimes you'll see top high school players fall down the board. They might get taken in the eighth or the 10th versus the second because it's seen as there's there's not good signability there. Either they're asking for way too much money or they really want to go to college. And so that's something that MLB scouts 
you're not only evaluating the player's ability, you also have to talk to the player, talk to his family, find out what he wants to do as far as college versus pro and what amount of money it's going to take to sign him. You have to know that because if not, you run the risk of wasting um, of wasting that pick. Because if you draft a player in a slot and you don't sign him, you lose the value of that slot. You lose that amount from your bonus pool. So uh, that's always an interesting complication. So unlike the, like the, the NFL draft that we just had, where you typically see the best players get picked first, you don't always necessarily see that in the MLB draft because some guys fall down the boards because they're not signable. Some guys rise the boards because they'll take an underslot deal and you can save money elsewhere. The Pirates, again, going back to last Friday's Farm Friday, I want to say in the last draft, the Pirates got four prep players that were considered first-round talents because they aggressively, after their first pick, they aggressively went after college players they could give underslot deals to so they could save money and get these high schoolers late in, in the back half of the top 10 rounds. So there's a lot of strategy there. It's a lot of stuff to work and to figure out. Uh, and I don't envy a, an MLB GM at all for trying to figure out, does this 17-year-old kid, how much money is it going to take for him to skip college and play for us? Tough thing. Great week on the show coming up. We've got College Baseball Tuesday. Uh, we've got a lot of great stuff, some crossovers this week. If, again, if you have questions for the show, we do these mailbags every single Monday. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. The show's on Twitter at Locked On Farm. You can email us, LockedOnMLBProspects at gmail.com. Until then, this has been Locked On MLB Prospects. <laughs>